In the animal world, it's dogs named Lady first. Nine out of ten hunters do not become the hunted. Twiggy was famous while actual twigs were ignored. Steam is just indoor mist. If money did grow on trees, we'd have a financial segment. Do nightcrawlers walk upright during the day? One particular amphibian is hard to compliment. I wish the term weatherman referred to a man made of weather. Is it wind or winds? So many stars. Welcome now to Out of All Doors. Hello, and welcome to the 23rd episode of Out of All Doors. I'm your host, Adam Drent, and Out of All Doors is a podcast for the outdoors, about the outdoors, in honor of the outdoors, because of the outdoors. Also, it's back from its months-long hiatus. The last regular episode we put out was all the way back on June 30th. Why, summer was only 10 days old back then, and now it's dead. I also released some supplemental content in there while my life was in a chaotic state, but I'm somewhat settled now and I'm attempting to get back into a productive, creatively fruitful rhythm, although my audio setup still isn't quite up to my usual high, high, high standards. Anyway, I'm in California now, and if you're anything like me, you've lived your entire life to this point in the Midwest, assuming that California doesn't have any outdoors. Well, it turns out that we were wrong. California actually does have outdoors, and quite a bit of it. Of course, once I got here, it was obvious. I've been kicking myself for a solid month. Like, beaches? Duh. Yosemite? Duh. Redwoods? Duh. Sequoias? Duh. The Mojave Desert? Duh. Death Valley? Duh. In fact, if I walked through a mere two doors right now, I'd be just as outdoors as any of you Midwesterners. When it comes right down to it, I actually think that most of California is outdoors. I'll report back if this turns out not to be the case, but I really think the facts are going to bear me out here. But it's October, and so I can't help but notice something that California definitely does not have. Um, fall? Hello? Autumn? Harvest time? Am I going nuts? That's a real thing, right? A real season, right? I didn't just dream it up, did I? Well, if I did dream up fall, it was a beautiful dream, a wonderful dream. Fall, according to my dream, was a truly dreamy season, a season of dreams. Here are some things I miss about fall. Number one, I miss seeing a big dump truck full of pumpkins being driven by a scarecrow. And who's that in the passenger seat using a GPS to help the scarecrow navigate? It's a second scarecrow. He's the one who owns the GPS. Number two, I miss being able to satiate my intense need to see a decorative hay bale with the absolute minimum of effort. Number three, I miss the cool gray days when the city would open up the cider hydrants and cold apple cider would come spraying out into the street for all to enjoy. Number four, I miss raking fallen leaves into a pile so big that the cops try to arrest it for violating an absurd law left over from a time in this country when being a lawmaker was the only available career for surrealists. Number five, I miss huddling around a bonfire for warmth while an acquaintance of an acquaintance verbalizes every mental twist and turn of his attempt to recall the name of a horror movie he's already told us we shouldn't bother watching. Number six, I miss having an astronomer put his arm around my shoulder, point to the heavens, and say, Adam, my boy, that is the Gord Star.
Number seven, I miss the combines, oh, the combines, churning through the fields by the light of our dying sun, the corn and wheat and soybeans falling before them with no visible resistance, and all the while I wave my go combines pennant while hollering the same, hoping that they will remember my support when they at last run out of crops to harvest and turn their threshing maws upon us. Number eight, I miss seeing the panicked death throes of the very mosquitoes that posted mocking messages on my Facebook wall insisting that they'd be sucking my blood well into March of 2017. Number nine, I miss getting junk mail, advertising false spectacular sales of which I will not take advantage. And number ten, I miss seeing geese flying southward overhead, all of them honking and honking as if to say, we know how to honk, we know how to honk, we know how to honk. So, listeners, if it turns out that fall is not a dream, and that many of you are actually enjoying some or all of the things I listed above right now, then I'd ask you to enjoy them just a little extra for me. And if someone accosts you and demands to know why you seem to be enjoying fall a little bit more than usual, well, just tell them that Adam Drent requested that you do so on the October of 2016 episode of the Out of All Doors podcast, which is available on iTunes and which they should download, listen to, subscribe to, rate, and review. Let's begin, shall we? And now, be welcomed to the Campfire of Chills. Tonight's terrifying tale of terror comes from a listener who identified herself simply by the letter T. Thanks for writing in, T. Thanks for all the forthcoming chills. Oh, and Halloween is coming up. That's even more appropriate. <laughs> cool. Anyway, so T writes, and remember that might not actually be her full name. She probably also has a last name, a middle name, and perhaps even more letters in her first name. Anyway, T writes, Dear Out of All Doors, I've enjoyed every installment of the Campfire of Chills, but I never thought that I would have a story to contribute. After all, Nothing scary had ever happened to me before. I'd never seen a ghost. I'd never seen a UFO. I'd never been chased through the streets by a chainsaw-wielding maniac. I'd never been chased through the woods by an axe-wielding psychopath. I'd never been chased through a laundromat by a sledgehammer-wielding madman. And I'd certainly never been chased through a surrealist dreamscape by a hook-handed lunatic. And while it's still the case that none of those things have happened to me, something similarly frightening did happen to me recently. It all happened two nights ago, although it feels like much longer ago than that because so much has changed. It's hard to believe that just three days ago, what I'm about to tell you about hadn't happened yet. I feel like the me that I am today wouldn't recognize the me that I was those three short days ago. That me was so naive, whereas the me that I am now knows that the world is a stranger, darker, less understandable place than I had ever realized until two nights ago when something happened. Something that will change how I look at the world forever, I'm sure of it. Something that I will never forget, and once I tell you about it, something that you will never forget either. There I was, lying in bed with my husband, worrying about a bill, internet bill, and listening to him snore when it happened. And trust me, it did happen. I already know what skeptics will say. It didn't happen. You were mistaken. You were dreaming. You were hallucinating. You're lying. You're exaggerating. You want attention. You're losing your mind. You're just joking around. You're just kidding around. 
You're just fooling around. No, You're just messing no. around. You're just goofing around. Well, to them I say, you can believe me or not believe me. I honestly don't care. But I know what I experienced was real, and I would never joke, kid, fool, mess, or goof about something this horrifying. So there I was, as I said, with my husband snoring and worries about a certain bill, the internet bill, keeping me awake. I was in bed, as was my husband, and it was night. Him sleeping, hence the snoring. Me awake, hence the worrying. Or rather, I was worrying, hence I was awake. Now, I should warn you that this story involves a cuss word. I won't actually write the cuss word, and I won't give any clues as to what it is either. But if this story is actually read aloud on the campfire of chills, I just want to warn any listeners who might be offended by even hearing that a cuss word was said at all, even if they don't actually hear the cuss word or ever find out which cuss word it was. Now, some skeptics are probably saying, well, it might not have even been a cuss word. Many people disagree on what actually constitutes a cuss word. The word T is talking about may have just been a rude word. Well, to them I say, I don't know what kind of a household you were raised in, but everyone I know considers the word I'm talking about a cuss word. And I'm sorry to any people out there who didn't even want to have which word it was narrowed down that much, but I really felt as if I had to address those skeptics. And I want to emphasize that even though a cuss word is integral to this story, I was not the one who said it, and neither was my husband. I have never used that kind of language, and while my husband used to, I told him that I wouldn't marry him unless he promised to never use cuss words again. I even made him put it in our marriage vows, and a lot of people judged us for that, but it's been worth it, because believe me, over the years there have been plenty of times when I know he would have loved to cuss, but the vows stopped him, because unlike some people, vows actually mean something to us. So my husband and I were in bed. He was snoring. I was worrying about the bill I mentioned before, the internet bill. And before I go any further, I have to tell you about our cat. His name is Bad Boy, which is sort of a cute way to say bad boy, and he is the fluffiest exotic short hair ever. No, He's no, such a fluff hell that sometimes it's hard to see his legs. No. And his face is fixed in a permanent frown. He's always flouncing around the house looking for a framed picture to topple or a thing we don't want shredded to shred. He's the biggest stinker in the house, and that's saying something because I know for a fact that I can be quite the stinker, and everyone knows that my husband can be quite the stinker as well, if not more so. But Bad Boy has us both beat, and to all you skeptics out there, I challenge you to come spend one hour in our house, and if you don't leave believing that Bad Boy is the biggest stinker out of the three of us, then I'll eat one of my own slippers. And I love my slippers. I love all slippers, but I especially love my current slippers, which my husband got me at an exclusive gas station that only members of his secret club are allowed to even know where it is. Also, you should know that Bad Boy is gray, and he throws an absolute fit unless he's wearing at least four bows at all times, although he also throws an absolute fit for lots of other reasons, too, even when he's wearing all four bows, which is always unless one or more fall off in one of his tumbles down the stairs. Bad Boy cannot get the hang of stairs. So my husband is in bed snoring. I'm in bed next to him worrying about a bill for the internet of all things when Bad Boy, who is a normal-ish cat, remember, comes into the room and says a cuss word. Anyway, that's my scary story. I hope it didn't freak anyone out as much as it freaked me out. Have a happy Halloween if you're listening to this before Halloween. Thanks. Sincerely. story a cat cussed. I'm going to kill you, T. Right after I kill Andrew, you're number two on the list.
Regarding the dawn. Regarding the dawn. Regarding the dawn. Hey there, listeners. This is Dwayne Leesman. And Cousin Ben. And this is Regarding the Dawn. A very special episode of Regarding the Dawn, to be precise. That's right. I don't know if you can hear, but Ben and I are actually outdoors. In the woods, to be precise. Uh, yeah. In the woods. Precisely. Right. You see, listeners, with Out of All Doors on hiatus for a little bit, Dwayne and I took that opportunity to go out on a little road trip and out into nature and a little photo safari, as it were. Yep. Ben suggested that while it would give us a chance to get some more photos in our respective portfolios, we could also use it as a jumping off point for some helpful instruction for you guys. That's right. So now is your chance for some in-the-field training. Get your photography boots laced up nice and tight, grab that camera bag, and let's go make some art. Oh, right, yeah. I gotta say, Ben, I'm pretty excited to be out here in nature with our cameras, making art, and not stuck in the stuffy apartment huddled around the mics and the recording and the space heaters. This is really amazing to be out here doing it, soaking in nature and, and just... Uh, dude, you stepped in some... Oh, yuck, man, that's perfect! <laughs> What? Hold still, don't move a muscle. Keep your leg up in the air like that. Just like that. Just what, like that. What are you Perfect. doing? Stop that. That's what, not... What? That's not going to work in black and white. I'm going to have to go with color, I think. going to need that little extra pop to make it really jump off the canvas. Oh. <laughs> what? what? Are you serious? You think that that's going to be great nature photography? Serious as a heart attack, baby. Okay. Oh, no. But, but that's dude, not... Dude, look. Even Tyrant Adam would agree. That is most certainly nature. Um, well... What, what did you think we were going to be taking pictures of, dude? Well, sky and trees and lakes and... Why not just take a shot of those two rainbow-colored unicorns playing freeze tag with the hydrocephalic wind over there? What? Where? Oh, Dwayne. Sweet, sweet, naive little Dwayne. Don't get my hopes up like that. Dwayne, look, if you want to make boring, banal, lame nature photography, you are going to have to go hang out on someone else's podcast-based outdoor photography workshop, okay? That's an option? This is our field trip. Only awesome photos allowed. Okay, but, well... I guess I'll need some help then, because, well, I guess, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't really know what makes, well, awesome nature photos. Dwayne, that's okay, because none of our listeners do either, and that's why we are here. I tell you what, Dwayne, let's do this slowly, and let's, uh, let's do this your way. Well, what do you mean? Grab that guitar of yours, and let's have a little sing-song, shall we? <laughs> Really? You, you're not messing with me. Go for it, man. Let's get this field trip started in style. Yeah, all right, L let's go.
open your eyes really wide. Wider. Wider. It hurts. That means it's working. Ow. Now you want to keep your eyes just like that. And then I'm just going to gently grab your shoulders here and spin. Oh. 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 Perfect. Now the purifying rays of the sunlight will do the rest. I'm blind. You moron! What are you doing? Tut tut, Dwayne, I'm helping you. He's helping me do what? Achieve my childhood dream of being a blind samurai? No. No. Helping you find what to take photographs of. How can I do that? All I can see is purple and black shapes. Precisely. What? Pick up your guitar and keep playing, Dwayne. I'll explain it all to you. No, it, it's over here, Dwayne. Gee, I wonder why I didn't see it sitting there. You better have a good reason for this, you idiot. Look, so, it's simple. Now that I have gifted you with the true sight, Dwayne, you can start taking the best photos of your life. Uh, <laughs> and how will I do that again? By instinct, by feel. Right. Finally, Dwayne, you will no longer be distracted by the way things look or by the way you think you feel about the aesthetics of a picture. Now, you can take photos based on the truth of the photograph. Okay, cool. Let me try. Here. Take the guitar. Alright, here. Okay. Okay, uh, well, let me see. I'm feeling the photograph. I'm feeling... Uh, no, that, that's me you're feeling. I'm feeling the Ow. photograph. I'm totally feeling this. I bet my photos are going to be amazing. Get away from me, you blind boots. Wow, look at me try that with my camera now. No, hey, get away from me. You put that down. Uh, come on. Hey, come back, Ben. I, I want you in my new art. No way, Daredevil. Get lost. Ben, where are you? We climb over the rusted gate. Oh my goodness how it creaks. Imagine how it will creak on its creakiest night. Unless perhaps this is its creakiest night. We scamper through the tombstones. We dart between and beneath the gnarled bare branches of trees at their most ghastly. We avoid tripping with the assistance of the pale light of the half of a moon. The pale half of a moonlight shows us where obstacles are and we avoid them by going around them or over them. We thank thee, half of a moon, for tonight half of a moon is plenty of moon, an ample quantity of moon indeed. As we go deeper into the cemetery, it changes in subtle ways. We notice elegant shapes hanging from the undersides of the tree's gnarled branches. We switch our flashlights on and play their beams over the headstones that surround us. We find that the headstones are different too. They are smaller. They do not have dates on them, and where they are etched with images, the images are unlike those on the headstones one might find elsewhere, such as on normal headstones. These are not the graves of dead humans, for we have entered the battery. The headstones read, Here lies a bat, it died as it lived, ignoring and transcending current animal trends with the heroism common to its kind. Rest in peace, Bat. You were too good for this world, and as it turned out, too small to catch a falling out. The final resting place of an excellent Bat. A devoted flyer, a loving sleeper away of daylight hours. 
May your soul greedily consume the souls of many dead bugs and much dead fruit. Good night, sweet prince. Prince Bat, that is. A true prince among bats. The princeliest bat that ever lived. The princeliest bat that ever died. A bat. A prince. Prince Bat. Hey, Bat. You will be missed by bats and men and women alike. You will be mourned with tears and alcoholic drinks and heavy sighs. You will be remembered with fondness and respect and clarity. You will be honored with a statue and a scholarship in your name and a commemorative t-shirt that says, Bats all, folks, accompanied by an image of you in place of the infamous pork pig. Beneath this headstone is a bat, buried because it died, buried here because it was loved. Buried in a custom casket because those who loved it are wealthy. Buried with a lifelike smile on its lips because wealthy people can afford skilled morticians. Buried alongside a skilled mortician because no one speaks to my son like that and gets away with it. Prince Bat, the true, the original, the one and only. Imitated by both bats and princes, but never equaled. The undisputed king of princes of bats. Here lies Orville of Felix, a bat that was never too proud to share its full name, the fourth most common full name in the world, with millions of people. Here lie the wings of either one or two bats. They're either both wings from one bat, or one each from two bats. The bat or bats might not even be dead. Bat. I saw one eve a blackish shape, and so I watched with mouth agape, as this black shape turned out to be a bat, a bat, sincerely, me. A bat we found. We tried to make it laugh, but it was dead. We tried to make it cry, but it was dead. We tried to make it eat, but it was dead. We encouraged it to fly, but it was dead. At last we buried it, for it was dead. And this being buried, it did well, for it was dead, and our hearts shattered. Join us in our grief. Bow your head. Let the tears water the grave of this dear bat, so competent in its deadness, so capably dead. And if you can spare it, leave some money in the jar affixed to the side of this headstone. The jar is labeled Funky Funds, and it's a fun for us to use on funky stuff like pajama pants with anthropomorphic pianos on them or whatever. Here lies Annie. We knew she was a bat all along. We were just testing everyone else. The Bat. Rest in peace, buddy. Enjoy Bat Heaven. Send a postcard. Just kidding. I'm a mailman and I know what happens to postcards. You don't want to know. A Bat. There's going to be a little less joy in the world and a lot less guano. R.I.P. The Bat Prince. A third-rate prince, but a first-rate bat. He had no actual authority. The title was merely honorary. Here lies a bat, the sole casualty of a fire that burned an entire cave system to ashes. The bat that is in this grave died recently. Big Bat. It died when its decision to hang from the roof of a fragile cave caused a massive cave-in. A bat. Wing thy way toward lofty dark, and there embrace thy badly rest. Three bats. An animal psychic said they wanted to be buried together, but one of them might be a flying squirrel. 
Here lies a bat. In life it squeaked and hissed. In death there's dispute over whether or not it was the one who belched. R.I.P. Bat. She loved her blankie, her binky, her buppy, her bitsy, her boofy, and belliteration. Rest in peace, Bat. You're all tangled in St. Peter's hair now. A rabid bat. While most bats do not have rabies, this one did. But the rabies did not define it. But the fact that it had rabies is all we know about it. But we hope you'll remember the rabid bat for something other than its rabies, the diagnosis of which was confirmed by multiple veterinarians. Here lies another bat, gone before its time. One more restless bat spirit to haunt my terrorific terrarium. www.terrorificterrarium.com Friend, confidant, bat. It took my secrets to his grave, which is bad because I've forgotten a lot of them. Oh well. The eternal place of rest of one fine bat and however many insects were in its stomach at the time of its burial. Here lies a bat, executed for crimes against the crown, including impersonation of the royal prince. Fare thee well, dearest bat, didst thou depart this plane like a bat out of hell? Nay, more like a bat into heaven. May we meet again in that great cave in the sky. A bat. We already miss you, Bat, even now, as we continually close pop-up ads in order to type this message on a website for someone else to then etch on your headstone. Bat, you ran the race, and now it has ended. The good news? You won first place. The bad news? You're deceased. The good news? I etched your victory in stone so future generations would know about your first place finish. Here lies a bat. This bat was 22. Only the good died. The first part of this headstone had already been etched when we discovered that 22 is old for a bat. But this bat was good, even though it died old and not young. Rest in peace to the bat buried here. And you, yes you, all of you standing there and reading this, look behind you. We turn. We look where this final headstone told us to look, which was behind us. But once we turn, what was behind us is now in front of us. That's just how turning works, no need to fret. But what we see does make us fret. It's a wheeled cart bearing a giant headstone that reads, This will be the headstone for your mass grave over in the human section if you don't leave the bats alone to mourn the fallen bats in peace. We want to protest that we have been peaceful, but then we recall that we're all wearing cowbells around our necks so that none of us become separated from the group in such a scary cemetery. So yes, we haven't been the most peaceful visitors. In fact, we've been very noisy. Even the slightest shifting from foot to foot generates an unholy clanging, and Lord knows we've been moving more than that. And so, as bats descend from the trees and emerge from the pitch-black shadows on all sides, converging in a flapping mass upon the graves of those of them who fell before, we leave. The bat. Entry number six. Hello, Adam. This is Cayman, checking in from the rails. 
Last time I sent in a report, I was being taken by the hobos to meet a Professor Jim for more background about the hobo-hermit conflict. That's still the plan. Today we're riding across Nevada. Entry number seven. I'm learning quite a bit about life on the rails these days. You get used to taking naps and playing cards. Utah's boring. Entry number eight. I take back what I said about Utah. Today we went to Wyoming. The hobos are being oddly coy about where they're taking me and where Professor Jim lives. But then again, most things about the hobos are odd. Entry number nine. Montana today. More naps. More cards. Got another new road name. Now I'm napping, Jim. Entry number 10. Adam, it's been two weeks since my last entry. North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, they've all come and gone. Some of my Sandy's also come and gone with it. This isn't nearly as exciting as the hobos would have led me to believe. Still got nothing to report. Entry number 11. I think it's been another two weeks or so since my last entry. The days are all starting to run together now, and it's very disorienting. Illinois, Kentucky, Virginia, North and South Carolina can be checked off the list now. We're covering a lot of ground, but I get the idea that no one knows what ground we're supposed to be covering. Nobody can tell me where we're headed. Yeah. Um, sorry, I have to go. I feel another nap coming on. Entry number 12. Well, Adam, after months on the rails and countless naps and games of cards and arguments and coy deflections of very pointed questions, I finally know where Professor Jim is. Okay, I'll admit that's a lie. You see... After I judiciously applied copious amounts of grain alcohol to a certain hobo named Jim the Squealer, I was able to learn that while hobos are great at traveling, they are absolutely horrible at navigation. They literally just wander around the country on trains with no clue where they're going and how to get where they want to go. And to make matters worse for my situation, Professor Jim doesn't live anywhere. He's he's traveling just like we are. He's randomly riding the rails and we're just riding around, hoping we run into him. By chance. Needless to say, I am not happy about this. I've made plans to get off of this train as soon as I can. I'm going to rent a car and find my way back home. Just... Just as soon as I finish defending my gin rummy title from Jim the Card Shark, he really has it coming. I'll check in as soon as I can, Adam. Well, our friends, 
the Halloween season is here again, and that can mean many, many things, but in this particular case, it happens to mean one particular thing. Gentlemen's Mill's award-winning costumes are back and very much for sale. Have you been considering not dressing up for Halloween this year? You should be paddled. Or, instead of receiving the paddling you currently so richly deserve, you could avoid the probability of a paddling entirely by dressing up in one or more of Gentleman's Mill's many award-winning costumes. These costumes have won awards, and plenty of them. Don't believe us? Drop in on the gentleman, the dandy in the hat, at any time, day or night, and ask to see the trophy case. If they agree to show you the trophy case, you'll soon see several awards that the dandy will tell you are awards won by Gentleman's Mills Halloween costumes. Costumes like... Number 1. Uncle Dale's Earthy Britches. Send your outseam measurements and credit card information to our receptionist who will dispatch a man to bury you up to your hip bone. Number 2. Mask Mobile. Cinch your neck brace and affix mask mobile to your face. The web of coat hangers, fishing string, paper, and models of planets that stretches diagonally from your face makes you look a bit like a madman's inverted chandelier. Stand near a crib to help develop a baby. Optical illusion. From one angle, you're a mummy, but from another angle, you're an enormous herd of cattle stretching to the horizon. Number four, crumble top. This costume blouse is more baked good than flexible fabric. Wearers should strive to avoid dippings in milk baths. Number five, murderous murderer murderer. Dress up as your favorite man who murders men who murder women who murder. Number six, jail cell seller cell seller. Bring the house down, the big house that is, when you dress as the instantly recognizable downstairs prison mobile phone vendor. Number seven, gorilla in the mist. We only supply the gorilla costume if you can certifiably prove that there will be ample mist present at the costume gathering you plan to attend. Albert Ross, the Albatross. It is crucial to this costume that you speak in a British accent so that Albert sounds like the first two syllables of Albatross. Number nine, Nordic Trek. Lie down and don this costume and share the pride as your friends and party-going acquaintances stand atop you and begin making an imaginative skiing motion to shed the pounds right off. Number 10. Presidential Election Costumes Fellow party-goers will roar with laughter when they see these topical costumes that we haven't quite finished packaging, making, or thinking of yet. Number 11. Upside-down pumpkin head. Someone at your party will boast about being OCD. Mark the dandy's word. He's been to plenty. When you hear OCD, that's your cue. Dart to the neat freak and bend down so they're sure to see that your pumpkin head's upside down. Respectfully accommodate her crippling condition as she grabs your pumpkin head and turns it right side up. Helped along by the neck track and lubricated ball bearing chassis and spring load assist. Our socket wrench technology makes sure the pumpkin head respectfully stays right side up for the rest of the night. Number 12, water. This giant polystyrene sack of water lets you clothe yourself in the fickless necessity. Water. A breathing straw is provided so the wearer can access air throughout the evening. Number 13, curtsy horse. This collection of fabric looks like a big mess on your big body, until you curtsy that is. Once the wearer curtsies, the costume inflates to a giant seahorsey, then deflates back into a lumpen pile as the wearer returns to standing erect. Number 14, collared greens. These thin strips of green construction paper can be placed under your dress shirt's collar in a subtle, insightful way that speaks to today's issues and titillates the gourmand in each of us. 
Number 15, genetically modified pubescent samurai tortoises. Led by their wise master Woodchip, our four hero tortoises, Monet, Manet, Warhol, and Banksy, patrol the city's cesspools on the hunt for the evil Shripper and his nefarious goons R&B and 16th Note Swing. Collect all four costumes. Copyright Gentleman's Mills. Copyright Gentleman's Mills. Copyright Gentleman's Mills. Number 16, Busybody. This bodysuit gives others the impression that they're viewing the inside of your body, albeit a version in which all your parts are flashing, spinning, spasming, and making a racket. Number 17, Fungus. The entire costume is a name tag reading Gus that can be sewn to any garment. The fun must be provided by you or the entire concept is ruined and Gentleman's Mills looks foolish as all get out. Do not mess this up for us. Be fun. Number 18, Candy Bard. You wear a giant Snickers wrapper and carry a loot. Number 19, Muscle Man. If all goes as planned, you'll appear to have a bivalve mollusk in place of your regular human head. Number 20, Teacup. This is a bra large enough to hold a grown man. 21, Sums Fingers. You carry this bowl of wide noodle rice pasta around the party until, ow, someone's bitten too far down and gotten one of your fingers that are slipped through the holes hidden in the bottom of the bowl. Ow, why'd you do it again? These are four of my real fingers. Number 22, Patent Lawyer. The gentlemen hate patent lawyers, and that's why one publication called this costume revolting, offensive, necessary. Number 23, Turntables. This large mechanical device worn at the hip and secured by suspenders can grasp and turn most mid-sized tables while also playing the hits of Mr. Diplo and Tiesto. 24. Celebrity Death Costume. Dress as a child actor drifting out of the spotlight, celebrity slipping from your tween clutches. And number 25. Jerk Chicken. People often assume from the name that this costume is a play on words based on a term that most people recognize as the Jamaican dish wherein chicken is dry rubbed or marinated with jerk spice. They assume that the costume will actually be of an ill-mannered chicken. But no, this is a costume of the Jamaican dish. There's no play on words. Get over it. So now that the recorder is on, explain why it was my fault. I want this to be on the record. Because I wouldn't have even been in that tree if you hadn't thrown my camera up there in the first place, Dwayne. Yeah, well, I couldn't see what I was doing. I thought I was throwing you the football for the winning touchdown at the homecoming game. Because some moron blinded me in an attempt to make me a better photographer. You made that up. Yes. Yes, I did. He actually was a complete delusional imbecile. Ha <laughs> So funny. Dude. I'm tired and cold. Now that I can see again, I know with great interest that it's getting dark, and this looks nothing like the woods we started in. You do know where we are, right? Oh, now you want me to be in charge? The imbecile is good enough for you to be your forest guide when the going gets tough, huh? Come on, man. I, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm seriously tired and hungry and cold. Let's go home now. Okay, fine. Apology accepted. I didn't okay. apologize. Well, you should have. Which way is it? I don't know. Just just check your phone, dude. You aren't serious. Tell me you aren't serious. What is that tone? Of course I am. Just use your phone and your GPS. We'll just... Ben, we don't have service out here. What? 
Of course you didn't know that. Why would you? What What are you talking about? What What do you mean? Hey, hey when, did, when did you start smoking? When I was 10. What? 10? Really? Really. Uh, okay. All right, Ben. Here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna be lost for a while. What? And we're gonna be cold, hungry, angry, and alone in the dark. Um, and we will have to make it through the night without killing each other. Wait, how, how do you know all this? The Russians call it Nochtrobia, or Blood Night. Notch what? It's gonna get bad, so we need to make a fire. Bad? At least we have my hatchet and lighter. Did you bring anything along that we could use to stay warm or eat or... What? what? I brought some important stuff, dude. I brought the cameras and the audio recorder. Mm-hmm. I thought so. What is that supposed to mean? Okay, but we need to keep our brains working and thinking as we get colder. We need to keep doing things that keep us alert. So let's sing while we look for some fire kindling. I like to do old things. Shh! Stop that. Just sing along with me. It will keep us sane and hopefully keep the wolves away too. I'm not. Wait, wolves? The five people you meet at the pumpkin carving competition. Number one, Man Sans Knife. This man didn't read the flyer carefully and thus did not realize that all competitors were expected to supply their own knives. You bring the knife, we'll supply the pumpkin, said the flyer in big orange letters. Well, now he's trying to file one of his fingernails, which is of average length, into knife-like sharpness, but the clock is ticking, and there's little hope that even a very sharp fingernail will be strong enough to penetrate a pumpkin's tough outer layer. Number two, Man Sans Pumpkin. This man did read the flyer, but unfortunately for him, the flyer was intentionally misleading. For while it's true that the organizers do not supply the competitors with knives, they only supply one of the competitors with a pumpkin. Read the flyer again. You bring the knife, we'll supply the pumpkin. Pumpkin. Singular. A number of the people who showed up to compete this year have competed in previous years, so they knew to be suspicious of the wording on the flyer. So they brought both knives and pumpkins. The only man who was provided with a pumpkin this year was that idiot without a knife. This man, without a pumpkin, is asking the other competitors if they have any backup pumpkins. 
But the clock is ticking, and all he's managed to get so far is a pumpkin so soft and rotten that he has to carry it in a plastic target bag. Number three, man sans purpose. This man brought a pumpkin and brought a knife, so he's all set, right? Wrong. As soon as the whistle blows, he begins to furiously carve his pumpkin, but without any plan, without any purpose, and now his pumpkin is spiraling out of control. It's nearly beyond repair, now it is beyond repair, and now it's just a pile of orange chunks and goops. The only prize this man might win is entry that least resembles anything, but such an award doesn't exist, so his chances of winning it have to be close to zero. Man Sans Sanity this total nut job just carved his pumpkin to look like the face of the mayor. <laughs> this guy is crazy. This reminds me of last year when he carved his pumpkin to look like, get ready, the face of the mayor. What a loon. And number five, man sans hands. This man didn't read the rules properly, it seems, because he claims he didn't realize that getting third place in the competition would mean that his hands would be chopped off and affixed to the sides of the first place pumpkin to make it look like it has human hands. How could I have read the rules, he shouts. They're not written down anywhere. What he fails to acknowledge is the obvious fact that apparently everyone else knew not to get third place because no one else did get third place. Sure, one guy got first, another got second, there were a handful of honorable mentions, and a bunch of people didn't even place at all, but only one guy got third, and he's up here acting like that's someone else's fault? I didn't even carve a pumpkin, he shouts. I didn't even have a knife. I tried using a sharpened fingernail, but I couldn't even penetrate the pumpkin's outer layer. The judges nod. That's what we liked. The man is outraged. You liked that my pumpkin wasn't even carved? No, say the judges, we liked that fingernail. That's what made us want those hands for the first place pumpkin. Anyway, that's five people you meet at the pumpkin carving competition, although the big reveal is that it was actually only four people because numbers one and five were the same guy. The end. turning it back on for the record for the authorities so that they know how I died at your hands. Oh, stop it. Dude, look at yourself. You're cradling that thing like it's a baby. I just feel safer with it close, that's all. Safe from what? Whatever it is is gone now, and it wasn't your hatchet baby that saved us. It was, it was the flash on my camera that scared it off. Yeah, well, we will see if you can keep the wolves and monsters from snacking on your extremities with that camera next time. I'll take my chances with my hatchet. You'll cut yourself and bleed to death first at this rate. Well, at least you would get good photographs of me bleeding out, though, wouldn't you? Mm, you do have a good point there. I can't believe you didn't bring anything but camera gear. Have you been listening to the woodsman wisdom again? <laughs> no. Whatever, dude. Look, the fire is dying down, and we're almost out of wood. I'm going to go pick some up, so stay here. Whatever. Woodsman wisdom. I'll show you, you stupid hatchet man. Stupid. <sighs> what did you? What did you just throw? Did, did, did you? You? You threw my hatchet? Yes. Now you can stop using it as a crutch and really start engaging with the suffering and the fear. It will make you a better artist. You moron! We are both going to die out here if you. If, oh, dude! I've had a hatchet since I was a kid. My dad gave that to me when when I went on the family vacation to Canada. Well, how about that? Your dad crippled your artistic spirit that long ago, huh? You idiot! Oh, oh stop it! Your art is going to improve.
happening immediately now that you don't have that dumb kitchen utensil distracting you. Where is your camera? Ha! Nice try, but you won't get a throw it again. I ate it. You ate it? Yep, and it was delicious. Whatever, you boob. I'm not going to waste any more of my energy on this. I'm staying as close to the fire as I can until morning. I'll deal with you later, you you murderous traitor. Ha! Me? Murderous? That's a laugh. You are the one cuddling up to the preferred weapon of the unstoppable movie monster. No, that's a machete. Wait, really? Jason? Fine, whatever. But you don't have one of those in your pack, do you? Yep, two of them. Shut up, you liar. You just stay away from me. You stay over there on your side of the fire. You have nothing to worry about. So far on this trip, I'm the only one who was hurt, and it was by you. And you claimed it was to free my mind or some such crap. Incidentally, that is a very common thing that serial killers claim that they are doing to their victims. Oh, whatever. And I did free your mind. Not only did I help your artistic vision, but I also put you in the perfect situation to make great avant-naturism. What? Now what are you on about? Look around you, man. Come on. Look at all the terror and the fear and the anger and the despair. And it's, it's everywhere now. Everyone else goes into the woods and takes the same old happy and cheery pictures of the same old safe and boring trees and birds and sunset. Well, now you aren't safe. Now you aren't happy. Now you don't have your stupid hatchet to use for a crutch and a safety blanket. And now I don't have to worry about you slaughtering me in my sleep and eating my undercooked flesh. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. I can assure you, I would cook it very thoroughly. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? In the woods, let's go out and commune with nature. Everything's fine, it's all right with you by my side. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's take a shot in the woods. Let's make art with our awesome cameras. Everyone's bad until we show them how. Whatever. Dude, I bet that guitar would burn really nicely. You stay away from Vivian. You name the guitar Vivian? Shut up! Dude, what'd you name the hatchet? Elvira? I really am gonna kill you. Yeah, without Elvira? With what? What are you gonna do? Strangle me with Vivian's strings? If I wasn't so hungry, I'd come over there and beat you. If I wasn't so cold, I'd come over there and show you how to beat someone. I'm shutting off the recorder now. I don't want the jury to hear you scream on tape when they play this in the courtroom. Get away from me! Get away from me! Close your eyes, one at a time, first the right, then the left. Keep the third eye open, we're going to need that one. Oh, you don't know what the third eye is? Well, it's your prime visualization tool, your imagination. Or rather, one aspect of your imagination. 
the part of your imagination that sees things that your physical eyes are not currently beholding. We've used the third eye many, many times before in these exercises, but perhaps I've never referred to it by its name? Well, we won't devote any more time in this visualization exercise to explaining it. You don't need to understand it to use it. The third eye. Look it up. No, not with your third eye. Look it up with your first and second eyes. Now lie down. You choose the surface on which you lie, but make sure it's a comfortable one. I recommend a traditional bed, hammock, or fainting couch. And now you must relax. I've heard the complaints. Aren't the visualization exercises supposed to relax me? If I can relax before we've even done them, then why do I need them? I should close my eyes, lie down, and remain tense until the visualization exercise begins. Then, and only then, should the relaxation follow. And it's these kind of outbursts that prove my point. You need to be able to accomplish some level of relaxation before we begin the exercise in order to be receptive to it. Even if all that means for you is that you unclench your jaw and seek to reduce your involuntary rage trembles by 20%. Now with all of that accomplished, you find yourself with train wheels instead of feet. And yes, you're on a track. You are propelled forward by a coal furnace in your belly into which busy whistling tapeworms shovel coal with mouth-borne shovels. I don't know the most about trains, but that's fine because you aren't a train. You're just a trainier version of yourself. The point is that you are on these tracks and you will go where they have already been laid and nowhere else. You are quite literally on rails. This will be a linear experience for you with no opportunities for fruitless exploration or poor decision making. You will have the experience you are intended to have and you will either like it or not like it. You chug along the tracks, a distinctive chugging sound coming from your mouth along with billowing black smoke. The tracks wind their way through a steep mountain pass and golden aspens grow so close to the tracks that their branches brush against your shoulders like the leafy limbs of a strangely limbed lover or like the branching hands of a behanded tree. Neither simile is good, but when conveyed back to back in this tone of voice, your mind's eye does the heavy lifting, blending them into a sort of figurative language mush that, if not appealing, is also not offensive. You chug onward, seeing the scenic sights and scenes with your first and second eyes. Although remember that you're using your third eye to visualize your first and second eyes seeing scenic sights and scenes. But then, what do your third eye enabled first and second eyes spot on the tracks ahead of you? Well, there's a penny on the tracks. A train would have no choice but to run over it, derail, and plunge down the face of the cliff to its ultimate doom in the valley far below unless it happened to land in a haystack large and firm enough to cushion the thousand-foot fall of a whole train. But you aren't a train, you're just a trainy person. So when you're almost upon the penny, you bend over and pick it up with your fingers. You look at the penny and see that the date on it is 12 BC. This penny is an obvious forgery, but on the bright side is a forgery by the master forger Marlene Wallersch, which means it's actually worth three more cents than if it were a real penny. You slide the fake penny into one of your cargo cars. I mean cargo shorts. Yes, one of your cargo shorts. That's what I meant to say. Trains have cargo cars, but you have cargo shorts, and you're wearing multiple pairs simultaneously as a perhaps overdone assertion of your status as a person who is merely training but is not in fact a train because a train cannot wear cargo shorts and you are wearing a good six pair and you're holding a spare pair in your left hand. And through all this penny drama, and there always seems to be penny drama these days, 
You've continued to chug onward, your wheels eating up track in a good, steady clip, your black smoke filling the air as if to say, I was here, confound it, and I emitted tons of smoke. I should note that speaking of tons of smoke, I've never actually weighed the smoke, but I can only assume that it's pretty heavy, so I don't think it would take that much smoke to actually add up to a ton. But in the case of your above quote, I know you merely meant the word tons to poetically stand in for the word lots, which is one of the least poetic words in the English language along with tummy and hate, because poems should not be juvenile and poems should be positive. In other words, poems should represent a childlike optimism that is nonetheless unconstrained by a certain kind of child's apparent inability to fathom the word stomach. But as you round the next corner, you see another obstruction on the tracks. This time it's not a fake penny. Oh no, this time the obstruction is much bigger. Not a fake nickel, not a fake quarter, not a fake 50 cent piece, not a fake Sacagawea dollar. No, this time it's a cow, a real one. Now, okay, this is where a real life train would have an advantage over you, because a real life train would have a cow catcher attached to the front of it, whereas you, a mere trainy person, do not. Also, a real-life train would have brakes, and you don't have those either. You could try doing something with your hands again, but this cow looks pretty heavy and pretty dirty. And I know you're going to tell me that cash is one of the dirtiest things, and you already picked up a penny with no problem, but pennies are pretty light, and I said that this cow is not only pretty dirty, but pretty heavy too. In fact, I said it was pretty heavy first. But listen, there's no need to panic. You just need one of your tapeworms to take a break from shoveling coal, climb up into your cab, Put on a tiny engineer's cap and blow the whistle. And this is indeed what happens. The tapeworm with the tiny engineer's cap, still a size or two too big, blows the whistle and the startled cow looks up, realizes it has nowhere to go but down, and does a picture-perfect swan dive 1,000 feet down to the deep river below where, despite the perfection of the dive, the impact with the surface of the water instantly kills the cow. And now you have only one more corner to chug round before we arrive at our destination, Relaxation Station. The tapeworms keep shoveling away and that final bend approaches. What obstruction will await you? What final obstacle will you need to clear from the track in order to satisfy the visualization exercise rule of threes, which we strictly adhere to in every single visualization exercise we ever do? You chug round the bend. And there, blocking the tracks, is a shifting, indeterminate, colorless shape that just has the word obstacle kind of on it or in it, depending on how you look at it. This obstacle seems like it's going to be the biggest one yet, but after a few tense moments, you dispatch it with some combination of stuff a person has and stuff a train has. Elated and satisfied, two emotions that a person can have but a train cannot, you pull into relaxation station and all your passengers get off while the conductors get their luggage out of your storage compartments along the bottoms of your passenger cars. You also have a caboose, but you also have body hair. You're not just one thing, you're two things. Man, I intended for there to be more fall stuff in here, but even when I put you on rails, you managed to avoid it somehow. You're a crafty, crafty disruptor, I'll give you that much. Anyway, and now as you open your eyes, Take the peace of being two things with you this month, even when you're inside of one or more doors. Thank you. For
for listening to the 23rd episode of Out of All Doors. I'm Adam Drent, and I would like to thank Matt Martin, Chris Nichols, Andy Poppenfuss, Ben Bird, Kamen Bird, and Aaron Eikenberry for their contributions, written, audible, and technical. And thanks to Casey By, Chris Nichols, and J.J. Evans for making all the music used in the show. If you'd like to get in touch for any reason, you can send emails to the show at outofalldoors at gmail.com or me personally at adamdrent at gmail.com. You can also call or text me at 574-518-1983. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm active on Twitter, too. I'm at HugePop. Here's another thing I'd love. If you went on iTunes and rated this podcast, maybe wrote a review, maybe even subscribed. And be sure to check out my website, hugepop.com, where you can find links to my other projects, including Bedtime Stories, One Man's World, and the music I make is The Mispronouncer. Bedtime Stories and One Man's World are also on iTunes if you search for them under podcasts, and you can rate and review those too. And a Bedtime Stories app is also available for all smart style phones. And also, extra thanks to Chris Nichols for putting all the previous episodes of Out of Old Doors and One Man's World on YouTube. They're at the channel Huge Pop, written as one word. We'll be back in a month with episode 24 of Out of All Doors.